0: He holds the keys. All right, stand up with me, would you? Good to see all of you here. I, and my sweetheart is not here today. We're, we're leaving. As soon as church is over, I'm going to be going to uh, East Texas along with uh, Mark Job, the father of singer Job, Jobe. Uh, we're going to ordain two young men who I dedicated as children. Yeah. I held them and dedicated them, prayed God bless, God's blessing on them, and tonight I'm going to ordain them into the ministry. So, wow, uh, thank God. Uh, do I, does that make me feel old? No. It makes me feel blessed because my legacy goes way back, and I'm starting to see uh, generations that God let me touch, and, as well as Pastor Mark Job. All right. We're going to read today out of Matthew 16, 19, Revelations 1, 18, and Revelations 3, 7. I'm going to read to you three verses that have to do with Jesus holding keys. Y'all look so pretty and handsome. Uh, Are you glad the weather is beautiful like it is? Isn't this springtime weather deluxe? Shouldn't it be this way all the time? But it's not. So soak it up. You're going to need it. Amen. Let's read these three, uh, three verses, starting with Matthew 16:19. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. If uh, you have your Bible, then read out of that with me. If not, it's right up there on the screen. Jesus said to Peter, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now, that's one verse. Now, let's go to Revelations 118. Here's the resurrected Jesus talking to John the Revelator. And he says, I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Now, one more verse. He's talking to John again about the church in Philadelphia. He says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. And what he opens, read this last part with me because I love this verse. It's one of my favorites. What he opens, no one can shut. Say praise God. Praise God. God gives you an open door, no one's shutting it. And then read the rest. And what he shuts, no one can open. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today and pray the blessing of God. Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes and ears, that we would see what Jesus is telling us through the word of God and the keys that he holds, that we'll walk out of here with a fresh revelation of your power and your authority and your dominion over all things. Lord, I pray that uh, the resurrection, this, this resurrection month, Resurrection Sunday, will be more real, more vivid, deeper, wider, higher than it's ever been for us before because of the depth of our understanding has been increased. And, Lord, I need your anointing today. I humble myself before you, and I pray you will anoint anoint me as I share the Word of God, preach the Word of God. Lord, words can live and words can die. I pray the words will live today. And thank you for your quickening power, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We'll turn to somebody and tell them he holds the keys. He holds the keys. You can be seated. Amen. Okay, we've just read three scriptures that refer to Jesus having keys. And let me just refresh a bit. Uh, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He said, I'm giving to you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to explain that in a moment. And then we saw that he had the keys to hell and of death. Wow. And then third, we saw the key of David. I'm going to explain to you what the key of David is. And so I'm going to cover those three verses and explain what these keys mean. Because, listen, our Savior holds the keys we just read about. And the church needs to understand what they are. Now, keys have only one purpose. And that's to unlock a door. Keys unlock doors. We're all going to use a key today when we go home. We're going to slip a key into a lock and unlock the door. We didn't leave our doors unlocked. I hope you didn't. Um, we lock them. And we lock them knowing I'm going to be able to get back in because I've got a key. And the key is going to unlock this door for me. No one else in the city has it. I alone have this key to get into my house Jesus alone has keys to get into particular doors that mean everything to you and to me. He that is in possession of a key has the power of access to whatever is behind the door that they unlock. They not only unlock the door, then they have access to what the door opened up to. They have authority. They have dominion. They have responsibility over the door they open and the place they walk into because they had the key. Now, I'm going to deal with these three scriptures today that tell us about Jesus and the keys that he holds. First, when Jesus said, Simon Peter, and this was after Simon said to him, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Simon, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say unto you, Peter, that I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, what did that mean? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Because, Peter, I'm giving you a key to unlock a door. So so what did that mean? Clearly, here's what it meant, that Peter would have the keys of the kingdom of heaven meant that he would make him the instrument to initially open the door of faith in Christ to the world and that would be by way of the gospel. Peter, we see in the Bible, would be the very first man to preach the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles because he gave Peter the key. When you read the Bible, you see that on the day of Pentecost when you had this massive crowd that were there for this feast, it was Simon Peter that stood up in the anointing of the Holy Spirit and preached the first gospel message. And you can read it in three minutes if you read it out loud. But there were a thousand saved per minute. 3,000 people in a three-minute sermon were saved. We see there that it was Peter who held the key to the kingdom of heaven in that he was the one chosen by God to initially preach the gospel and open the door. And then we find further in the book of Acts that when the Gentile Cornelius invited Peter to his house... Peter was told by God in a vision and a dream, I want you to go with him, and what I have cleansed, don't you call common, because Cornelius was a Gentile. And Peter went with him, and it says, as Peter was sharing the gospel, the Holy Ghost fell upon a house load of Gentiles, and Peter, again, had the key that unlocked the door that initially opened the door to the Gentile world. And Cornelius' household was saved and baptized. So that's what Jesus meant when he said, Peter, I'm giving to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now I want you to know since Peter opened the doors, you've got a key in your hand as well. Every time you share the gospel with somebody, you are giving them a key. I want you to say with me, I've got a key. Oh, folks, we've got to understand the Lord, when we got saved, he handed us the key, the key being the gospel. And you can go up to somebody who is lost and share the gospel with them, and if they accept Christ, you have given them the key that opened the door to salvation for their life. We've all got a key. And boy, I want that truth to illuminate this church, that when you're out there and you're seeing lost people struggling in sin, overcome by the devil and they don't even know it, you've got in your pocket a key. You've got the key that unlocks the door for them to be set free. Like we just saw the chains falling off in that video. I love seeing the chains fall off of people when they receive the key that I hand to them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then we next come to Jesus' words about himself and the keys that he holds. Now I want you to notice what he said, I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus identifies himself. He identifies himself by his death and resurrection. He said, John, let me tell you who I am. I am he who lived and then was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. I was alive as a human being from birth to 33 years old, Then I died on the cross, and then I was raised from the dead to be alive again, and this time forevermore. We are worshiping today a resurrected from the dead Savior. He was as dead as dead can be, but God raised him from the dead. And so Jesus said, I want you to understand who you're talking to, John. I'm the one that was alive and then dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. How many of you are glad for that today? Amen? Now, he says that following his resurrection from the dead, he held two keys. He names two keys. He says the key to hell and the key of death. Now, let's talk about the key to hell first. I have the key to hell. Now, the word hell in this particular verse is from the Greek word Hades. And it's not to be confused with the lake of fire. I'm going to explain the difference between the two in just a moment. But Hades is not the lake of fire. Hades is different. If you were to read the Greek text, it would read, I hold the key to Hades, to Hades. So then what is Hades? Hades refers to what we might call a spiritual underworld. It's the dwelling place of the departed souls of men and women the region of the dead. We might say that Hades is like a really bad waiting room where those who die without Christ are incarcerated until the day of judgment. Jesus vividly describes this place called Hades. And you know what? People say to me, do you really believe in in, in hell, Pastor Jeff? Jesus did, and Jesus talked about it more than any person in the entire Bible, so I'm not going to risk Jesus being wrong. Because he always opened up his statements with truly, truly, I say to you. That, that, that just, that's just an amplified, I'm telling you, the unvarnished truth. And Jesus talked about hell more than anybody in the Bible. He talked about it repeatedly. And he described it in a parable about a rich man who died and went to Hades. He describes what the rich man encountered. He dies and he awakes in Hades, where the Bible says he was in torment. I'm just reading the Bible. Jesus said he wakes and he's in torment. Now, we see several things about this man when he's in Hades. We see that he's conscious. He's aware of everything. He's totally aware of his surroundings The Bible says he's able to feel, he's able to suffer, he's able to experience regret. We see him regretting his life while he's in Hades. He regrets that he did not uh, uh, serve God. He regrets his life, that he wasn't rich toward God. He has the capacity in Jesus' parable to look up and see Abraham far away in paradise. He sees Abraham in glory. It could be that one of the torments of hell is that you can see into glory and see what you missed. He's able to communicate. He's able to communicate. And you know what he does? He begs for somebody to dip their finger in water and cool his tongue. Jesus said that hell is the place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say it, and I didn't read that out of Greek mythology or Roman mythology. I read this out of the Bible. And then this rich man is also seized with a great concern for his living relatives who have not yet died and wishes he could somehow warn them of this awful place, but he can't. Because once you're there, you're there. You can't get out. You can't reincarnate. You will never return. That's the message that Jesus gave us. It's too late for this man. Now, when Judgment Day finally comes, John the Revelator writes this about Hades. In Revelations 20, verse 13, he says, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Did you catch that? Death and Hades spew up before the judgment seat the dead that are in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. I've told you repeatedly over and over in this church that there's two ways to deal with your sin. You can let it be dealt with on the cross, or you will answer for it. It's that simple. That's the message of the gospel. I know that's heavy stuff at 9 o'clock in the morning, but let me tell you, that's what Jesus said, and that's what the Bible teaches, because sin must receive God's justice and judgment, and so you can let Jesus be judged in your place and put your faith in him, or you can reject Christ, but when you go to the judgment seat, when Hades gives you up and you go before the judgment seat, you will answer for the things you have done. So on Judgment Day, multitudes of lost souls that have been held in Hades will be given up to face God in judgment. And it's only after this sobering day of judgment that men are cast into the lake of fire. Did you know that right now there's not one thing in the lake of fire? The lake of fire is there, but not one thing has been cast into the lake of fire yet. The Antichrist and the false prophet will be the first ones to break open the lake of fire. But then listen to what the Bible says. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Only then do people, are people sent to the lake of fire. But until then, when a lost person dies, they go into a place called Hades. The good news is, and I have good news Jesus said, I hold the key to that place. Amen. I hold the key to that place. Either to put someone in it, or here's the good news, to keep someone out of it. I hold the key. To hold the key to Hades means that Jesus has power over the invisible world of devils and demons and power over the eternal fate of people. Oh, folks, listen. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're rich or poor, black or white. I don't care if you're of high pedigree or, or you were born in poverty. And, 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 and as far as the world concern, is concerned, you're, you're a nobody. Of course, as far as God is concerned, we're all somebody. But it doesn't really matter. Every man, every woman, everybody of the age of accountability When you die, you are going to be resurrected. You're either going to be resurrected to life or resurrected to judgment, but you're going to be resurrected. Every single human being that's ever lived is going to be resurrected one day. This is the message of the Bible. This is what the Bible clearly teaches. This is why even demon spirits pray to Jesus he would not cast them into the bottomless pit because he had the key. It says in Luke 8.31, the demons kept begging Jesus. That means they were praying, begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit, the abyss. The dominion over this dark underworld has been entrusted to him. He holds the key. Now, he said, I have another key, the key of death, the key of death. Now, you know that death has been the ultimate boogeyman for the human race since Adam and Eve, death. Just recently, I've I've read several news stories. They just happened to be in the news, and I couldn't believe it. But about scientists who are in hot pursuit of a cure for aging. Let me read one headline to you. I couldn't believe this. sounds like a gospel message. Here's the headline. Who wants to live forever? I could preach that. I could steal that and make a sermon title out of that. Who wants to live forever? Well, everybody say amen. I do. But they're not talking about coming by way of Jesus. Let me just read to you just a little bit of this article. A biomedical gerontologist, I never knew that that existed, but there is a biomedical gerontologist and chief scientist of a foundation dedicated to longevity research reckons that within his own lifetime, Doctors could have all the tools they need to cure aging. Banishing diseases that come with it, listen to this, and extending life indefinitely. You know what he's talking about here? Eternal life. Let me just tell you, I'm not a scientist, but I want to assure you that won't happen. They won't find it. It's not there. It shows how men want to live forever. I wish I could meet this scientist and say, I I can save you a lot of time and money. Because eternal life is only found one way. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have, say it with me, everlasting life. What they're looking for and spending money to find, Jesus said, I'm going to give it to you. If you believe in me, you will have everlasting life. But why this? desperate search for eternal life. Why these scientists, why are they digging their heels in and saying, I'm going to find medically, scientifically, I'm going to find a cure for dying. Here's why. Because death is frightening. It's dark. It's mysterious. It's the leap into the great unknown. And people avoid it at all costs. Most people will do anything not to die. Hebrews describes mankind's ages-long fear of death. Listen to this, Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Since we, God's children, are human beings made of flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, became flesh and blood too by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die, and in dying, listen to this, in his dying, break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in that way could he deliver those who through fear of death have been living all their lives as slaves to constant dread. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but I have I, thought of this, and, and I would wager I'm probably right. I think many of the fears, the phobias that grip people have their root in the fear of death. I think there is a fear of death among men and women and young people. The Message Bible puts it this way. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he, that is Jesus, destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life scared to death of death. This is telling us that when when man fell into sin... Death came into the human race. That's what Romans says. Death came into the human race. Sin brought death. Death came by sin. And sin passed on to all men. So all men began to die. It's telling us that when Jesus rose from the dead, he snatched that key away from the devil. And now he holds the key to death. The Bible teaches that it was through his own death and resurrection that Jesus thoroughly defeated death because he defeated Satan who had the power of death. Boy, I love that. On the cross, Jesus destroyed the primary tool the devil had against mankind, and that was death, hell, and the grave. The Bible says Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Now, since Jesus personally conquered death, he has the power to call the dead out of the grave. I'm going to read that again. I'm going to say that again. Are you ready? Because Jesus conquered death, he has the power to call you, to call me, to call those who have died believing in him out of the grave. The good news that I'm bringing to you today and the Word of God brings to us is that because death could not hold him, those who believe in him cannot be held by death. The Bible says by God's grace, he, Jesus, fully experienced death in every person's place. He died in my stead. The Bible says when he was on the cross, hanging there, he tasted death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out. Why would Jesus, who was the very Son of God, cry out such a thing? Because for a moment in time, he was separated from the Father, and he tasted death for you, and he tasted death for me, so that when I put my faith in him, I don't have to eternally die. He tasted death for every man. And you know, when I read the book of Acts, I see that this was the message The apostles preached everywhere they went. If you had heard a message from Peter or Paul or James or John, you would have heard them talk about this thing called resurrection. Next next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. For us, it's Resurrection Weekend, Saturday night 6, Sunday 9 and 11. It being Resurrection Sunday, I want us to get our eyes on what Jesus really did. Listen, he he is the God of the resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection And when the apostles went out preaching, they hammered that. They focused on that. They preached that. It was their front burner message when they preached about Jesus. It says in Acts 4:2, the religious leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus is a resurrection of the dead. You hear what they're saying? They're not just saying that Jesus rose from the dead. They're preaching that because he rose from the dead, so will those who believe in him rise from the dead. They were preaching the resurrection from the dead. Acts 4.33, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. When when Paul was brought before the Sanhedrin, when he was dragged into court for what he was preaching, he said, I am on trial because my hope is is in the resurrection of the dead. Well, he wasn't hoping that Jesus rose from the dead because he had already risen from the dead. So who's he talking about? Paul is saying, you arrested me because I was going around preaching that if you put your faith in him, you're going to be resurrected from the dead. Hello, everybody. He said, I'm in trouble. You don't like the fact that I was out preaching to people everywhere If they put their faith in him, the day is going to come when the trumpet's going to blow and the Son of God is going to return and we're going to come out of our graves. We're going to be resurrected from the dead. We're going to receive glorified bodies like his and we're going to live forever. I'm in trouble for preaching the resurrection of the dead. And we know this will take place because Jesus has the key to life and death. The Lord himself was so crystal clear about this. As a matter of fact, when I read you what he said, you've got to conclude that he was either totally, truly, psychopathic, lunatic, crazy, or he was who he said he was. Because look what he said with a religious leader standing right there. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I, everybody say I. I. I will raise him up from the dead at the last day. I will. Well, that's powerful stuff. And that's one of the reasons they crucified him. Who is this guy saying that that he is going to raise people who have believed in him from the dead? Like I said, either he's a lunatic, false religious teacher, or this Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And if he is who he said he was, then he was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was very God, because only God can return from heaven and raise people from the dead. That means graveyards all over the world are going to be emptied out when Christ returns. He's going to call them up out of the grave. I will raise him up at the last day, being the day of his return. I will raise you up. That's why when I preach a funeral, I always say to the loved ones, particularly and only, if, if the one who passed away was a, a believer. But I say, we're not saying goodbye forever here. Amen. This is only a temporary goodbye. For the day is coming that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, At the sound of the last trump, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And those who remain shall be caught up together with them, with those that have come out of the grave, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Folks, the the core of the gospel message is resurrection. Death no longer has authority over the believer. When dealing with two sisters, Mary and Martha, both of them were mad at him. Why were you late? If you had been here on time, my brother Lazarus would not have died. They both had two kinds of faith. Mary had if only faith. If only you'd been here. My brother would not have died, so she had yesterday faith. If you had gotten here earlier, we'd be okay, but you're late. Everybody say, to I mean, he's never late. He's never late. He's on God time. He's not on our time. He's on God time. And God time is almost never my time. I want it now, today, right now. Come on, God. And God will wait years. Because I'm on God time. If I'm a believer, I'm on God time. I'm not on my time. And he was on God time. And so he walked up when Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. He stinketh. They had the stone rolled over the tomb. He he had begun to... to um, decompose. He he was dead. And Jesus walked up four days, they thought, late. And they told him off. If only you'd been here. I know we never do that. If only you'd been here. She had yesterday faith. If only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But now we're in a fix, Lord, because he's dead. The other sister had someday faith. He said, do you believe he'll rise again? And Martha said, oh, I believe he'll rise on the last day. Now, look at these two girls. One of them has yesterday faith. If you'd only come earlier, the other one had someday faith. I believe that someday it's going to be okay, but right now, today, we've lost our brother. Jesus looked him right in the eye and said, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I don't just resurrect. I am embodied in myself, the resurrection. So what he was saying to them is, don't have yesterday faith. Don't have someday faith. Have today faith. Because now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So he said, listen to what he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die do you believe this? He asked the sisters. And I ask you, do you believe this? And he confirmed it promptly by telling them to move the stone away. And he yelled down into that tomb and up from the grave arose Lazarus, came walking out covered in grave clothes, walking like this because he's all wound up in grave clothes. And Jesus said, loose him and set him free. He's raised from the dead. Now loose him. He showed who he was. Here's one last key. Jesus holds the key to heaven. He alone holds the key. Listen to what he said to the Philadelphia church once more time, one more time. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no man shuts and who shuts and no man opens. Now the door that he opens, now he opens a lot of doors. And I claim this verse And have claimed it many times in my life when I needed the Lord to open a door that no man could shut. But the ultimate door that he opens and no man can shut is the door to heaven. The door to glory. The door to that place that every human being really deep down longs to be. We know he holds the key to this door because he said repeatedly he is the door that allows us entrance there. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through. That's what you go through. You go through a door, through me, through me. You're not going to go around me. You're not going to go over me. You're not going to go under me. You're going to have to go through me. He holds the key to eternal life. I've got these keys here. You know how most Americans view heaven like this. They think in their possession are many options. This, this has five keys. They think that there's many options. I've listened to them on TV. I, I, I've talked to them. I know what Americans think now, because we have followed or, or swallowed a, a bill of goods that's wrong. They they, they just say, hey, you know what? God just cares that I'm sincere. So many Americans pick an Eastern religion. Let's say Buddhism. They say the key to Buddhism. They say, you know, I'm just going to be a Buddhist. I don't like this Christian stuff. I think I'll just go by way of Buddhism or some Eastern mysticism. It's very prevalent in America. I'll I'll go by New Age. I'll, I'll take that key. That's the key I choose. Or they pick the key of Islam. Americans everywhere are converting to Islam. They choose that key. They say, by by way of Islam and what it requires of me, I will get to heaven. That becomes their key. And then a lot of people, they say, you know what? It's my own good works. I never get a traffic ticket. I've been a good dad, a good mom. I, I don't break any laws. I'm a good American citizen. I'm just an overall good person. That's my key. That's the key I choose to get me in on that day. That's my key. There are people who choose the key of false assumption. God will let me in because I'm me. That's their key. And i got to mention one more because it's become prevalent in America as well. The key of universalism. The message of universalism is that because God is a God of love and Christ died on the cross, His death on the cross covers everybody whether or not they turn to Christ. God will let me in because He's going to let everyone in, and that's their key. Now listen, whatever key you pick, be careful what key it is you choose. Because whatever key you pick, and, you, and we've all in here, all of us in this room have already chosen a key, and, and some watching right now by video, you've chosen your key, and, and whoever hears this later on radio, you've already chosen a key. You are a listener with a key right now. You're putting your faith and your trust in a key. Which one is it? Because here's the deal. One day you will die. And you will present to God your chosen key. That's what Jesus said. You will present to God your chosen key. Well, God, haven't I been a good person? Haven't I done good things? Wasn't I a good citizen? Did you see me give money to that organization that one time? To that charity? Did did you see, Lord, that, that I was a good Buddhist? Did you see, Lord, that everybody loved me? Surely you do. Because I'm me, aren't you going to let me in? But you're going to present your key. What were you trusting in all throughout your life? Or you can realize, according to Jesus, none of those keys will unlock the door. None of them. There's only one key. I chose the biggest key here, the golden key. There's only one, and it's Jesus. That's the key. See, the Lord's not going to look at you or me and say, tell me what you did with your money. Tell me what you did with your life. Tell me what career you went into. Tell me how faithful you were to your spouse. He's not going to ask that at all. He's going to say one thing. What would you do with my son when you heard about him? What would you do? Well, you know, Lord, I just figured I'm I just you know I don't like that cross stuff. I chose this key instead. Depart from me. I never knew you. That's what he's gonna say. But Lord, didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? I never knew you. Didn't we visit the sick? I never knew you. Didn't didn't we? Give food to the hungry. I I never knew you because you didn't take my key. The key of David is the key to heaven. It's that simple. When I took that key, oh, I had all these keys. I had tried Zen Buddhism. I had tried my own good works. I had tried, oh, I I read so many books about self-help and how to get it together and be a good, none of those keys. When I tried this key, It plugged me into the power of the Holy Spirit, into peace in my heart. Yeah. So can we stand together today? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to add one. I am the key. He that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Father, we thank you for the key who is Jesus Christ. Thank you for the key, Lord. And, Lord, we thank you that you hold the key to hell, to either throw someone in it or to deliver someone from it. You hold the key to death. You've defeated it. You hold the key to heaven. And so, Lord, today I pray Anyone in this room who's not certain that they hold that key, that they have chosen that key, that they are trusting in that key, that you would enable them today to do so. With our heads bowed, I'm I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. You know, I never assume that everybody in a church service is born again, has been saved, has accepted the key into their heart. I don't ever assume that. There may just be one who has a question mark about it. And I want to pray right now a prayer of just coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I choose you as the key, the only key. So pray this with me if you need to. And you can pray with me even if you don't. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for my sins and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Thank you for a certain resurrection to life eternal for those who put their faith in you. And I do that today, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. I repent. Come into my heart, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen.